Someone asked me recently, what is the coolest part of my job as CEO at Clear Motor Marketing? I said, well, that's easy. The fact that every day I get to dig into our clients' businesses to learn not only what makes it tick, but what we can do as their partner to deliver the marketing that truly matters to their business. It's like being in a living, breathing case study every day. And for that, I am truly blessed. Hello, Collisions YYC listeners. It's with an overwhelming sense of pride that I wanted to share with you that the marketing agency that I had the pleasure of co-founding and leading is turning 15 years old. Yes, our mode of marketing is 15. I wanted to shout out a huge thank you to all of our clients, past and present, as well as our vendors and all of the incredible team members we've worked with over the years to make this milestone possible. Check us out at clearmotive.ca to learn more about what we can do that matters to you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Ms. Sky Mitchell. How are you doing, Sky? Very good, thank you. How are you? I am super good. Uh, not that this matters, but uh, this is, you're my first episode back. I've been off. I haven't done any recordings. I usually do two, or two to four of these a week, and I haven't done any for three weeks. So oh, wow. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to be rusty, but I'm excited to get back in. And I think you and I met, whether you remember or not, I don't know, I think maybe 2016 or 2017. Someone that we knew put us in an office together when you were first starting the Basecamp brand. So that's, I have a very subtle memory of meeting you many, many years ago before you built Basecamp resorts. So, you know, I love how the world is very small and it's one degree of, one degree of separation. So rather than, uh, uh, Assume everyone knows who you are, which I think many people do in Western Canada. Give us the quick elevator pitch. What is, who is and what is a base camp resorts? And let's go from there. Yeah, you bet. Thank you uh, for having me, first of all. And, and yeah, what is a base camp? A base camp is a stacked town home resort. So what that means is it's a purpose-built home away from home. So rather than, you know, two queen beds and a bathroom, <laughs> this started out as let's have stacked town homes exactly like you would build, you know, someone's residential home, but it's actually in a commercial zoning. It's a hotel. It's a hotel with a unique built form. And it grew since there because we don't only have stacked townhomes that are full kitchens, washer dryers, multiple bedrooms and bathrooms. We actually also acquire unique properties in right now mountain towns and renovate them. So you either have a base camp resorts, which is the ground up stack townhome, home away from home hotel, or a renovated building such as Mountain House, Lamp House by Base Camp, uh, Baker Creek by Base Camp. So I guess the long-winded rant is that we started off with one thing and we've grown into a hospitality brand in Western Canada. Amazing. And um, uh, of course, I was doing my professional creeping as I do on the internet. Uh, I got 10 locations was the last article that I read. Are you guys Are you guys at 10, still at 10, or have you grown past that? No, we're at 11. 11. Okay, right. On. I did. I was worried my data was slightly slightly skewed. And you're in Kananaskis, Banff, Lake Louise, Golden, Revelstoke, Canmore. Am I missing any? Um, yeah, growing into, we have land right now in Fernie and more oh, in, nice. yeah, Canmore, Revy, and Golden. So yeah, and growing, yes. And Mountain Town specifically, um, a passion, uh, an economic viability decision. What was the mountain towns hook? Besides, I think you had a deep passion for the mountains. Have I read that a bunch of times coming through in some of the articles I was reading this morning? Yeah, you bet. Started as a passion and grew into economic viability because, you know, it still needs to be a business that makes sense. So, yeah. um, so both and, and really just in my experience traveling through all these mountains or sorry, these mountain towns, it was clear that there wasn't a consistent brand. Like if you strip out all the the big brands that already exist all over say North America or Canada or whatever, there wasn't a brand specific to the outdoor lifestyle, which is my lifestyle. So I was like, let's start it. I love it. Um, 
who do you who would you compete with? And like I love you said, there's brands that we know from North America. Are you competing head to head with the big hotels as well, the hotel change with all of their different offshoots and deviations and sub brands, as well as the individual who happens to own a a condo and they rent it out via via Airbnb? Like where do you guys sit? Kind of if I was going to do the competitive SWAT up on the whiteboard. Um, well, because we have different product types, we compete with all of the above. So okay. like I said, we started with the purpose-built home away from homestack townhouse vision, and that grew into a hospitality company because we saw opportunities to acquire uh, you know, old or tired assets and renovate them into something really cool. So it really depends on our brands. We're not one brand. We're actually five brands. So we, we are Base Camp Resorts, which is our parent company. But okay. under that, we have Lamp House Hotel, Mountain House Hotel, Base Camp Lodge, and Northwinds hotel so we're very similar to like blah 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 by Wyndham or whatever you know yeah yeah got it. Um, okay i understand So like, for example, Northwinds Hotel, which is our more entry level product would compete with like a Best Western or something like that. Uh, Whereas Basecamp Resorts, which is our stacked townhomes, wouldn't compete with a Best Western, but it would compete to your point um, with Joe Schmo's Airbnb townhouse. So because we have various product typologies and brands, each brand has its own comp set. Ah, okay. That, thank you. That adds a lot more clarity than I got into this morning. So the first one being the stacked townhome resort style. Let's just take back. When was, was that 2016, 2017? When, like when, when did you, when did the idea start and when did the shovels kind of go in the ground? <laughs> so I acquired the piece of land, uh, which is a separate story, whether we get into it or not in okay. uh, May of 2016, shovels hit the ground November of 2016, and we opened August 1st of 2017. And that was the stacked townhome from the ground up hotel. And um curious, you're now established, you've got 11 locations, you probably get uh, the doors open a lot more quickly to probably investor conversations to talking to municipalities. Let's just take us back to the startup journey a little bit being 2016 to 2017, that period of time. Did everyone think you were nuts? Did you have support people <laughs> running to give you money? Like I no. always love to tell a little bit because it's so easy to look at now and go, oh my God, look at this amazing thing. It must be great. You're like, yeah. Okay, let me tell you about, so just get, take us back a little bit down memory lane of like, what was that like pitching that idea for the first time? Yeah, you bet. And, and for the record, it's still not easy. And even though, yes, we <laughs> have for a lot a lot of people interested in investing in all of that, the brand obviously has presence and everything has grown. Um, it's still not easy. It's still yeah. oddly similar to what I'm about to tell you about the beginning, <laughs> which is um, on March 22nd of 2016, I got fired uh, from a job that I had just started in January. So I was literally there for like 27 working days or something like that. And the company in Calgary, Trico Homes, fired me. And I was like devastated. Like, how do you run around, hire me for this big job? You know, just start giving me responsibilities in 25 seconds later, fire me. Like I was in the depths of despair. And I remember thinking um, during that, you know, two week period after I lost my job and still lied to my parents, telling them I was still gainfully employed. um, I'm never doing this again. Like never, 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 never. I don't want to work for someone. I don't want someone to have that control over my that life. Power and, over you. <laughs> well, yeah, because then they literally paid me because I was still in probation. They paid me till five o'clock, walked me out the door. It was awful. It was, it was hell. Um, and I, I didn't speak about that openly until very recently. So for me to say this to you in this format is not something I was doing, you know, back in 2017, but now I've become really comfortable with it. And 
and come. It took that long to like come to terms with that sort of experience. Reminds me of a friend of mine had a saying: trauma plus time equals hilarity. If you wait long enough, everything gets funny. It's just how long you have <laughs> to wait. True. It's true. <laughs> and the and timeline so, really does correlate yeah. to the depth of the trauma. But anyways, I digress. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so anyhow, um, that happened, and I said, you know what. I need to do my own thing. While I was gainfully employed, I had purchased two Airbnb condos in Canmore because back between 2012 and 2016, they were really cheap. And people forget this. Like now they're so expensive because everyone's decided they're going to be an Airbnb host. But back then when Airbnb was just kind of like getting off the ground and all of this was sort of evolving and tourism was picking back up in Canmore, you could get a condo. Like I bought a two bedroom townhouse that would, you know, now sell for 900 grand for 160 65 grand. I borrowed the money from my mom. I paid her interest and it was like not as hard as if it was 900 grand. Yeah, yeah. So the economics were great. And I said to Tim, who was my boyfriend at the time and now my husband, listen, you're a carpenter, you're going to build a hotel and I'm going to go find $2 million equity and a, you know, $6 million bank loan and we're going to build this thing and we're going to create a brand around the stack townhomes because what was missing in my opinion was that branded experience. Um there's tons of Airbnbs. You you might get, you know, Tyler's Suite and it's amazing or Joe's townhouse and it's a piece of crap, right? Yeah. So I felt that the experience that people look for in hospitality is a branded one for many reasons, but you just want to know what you're going to get is the you know basis of every brand. You're taking a lot of risks. You're flying around the world sometimes exactly. to land at a place so, that is going yeah. to be your home for a week period of time. And we've all yeah, rolled no. those dice and they've worked out, but when they don't, it sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't go to air. I don't want to stay in someone's Airbnb. Like, no, thank you. I've had, I, which I have done many times, especially being in the business and I'm, I'm done. Like the last when I stayed at the air conditioner was broken. It was LA. It was hot. I was like, this is just ridiculous. There's no one to call. Like I was like, this is dumb. Um, so which, which furthers my fuel to grow the brand. But anyway, back to 2016, Tim and I had no money and I just, you know, literally ran around to friends and family, pounded the pavement, built a pro forma, got, um, some consultants who are still with us to this day to delay their invoices. You know, openly I said, listen, I want to design this building. We need mechanical electrical engineering. We need all this stuff. I need to find partners, not just consultants, but people who will not invest cash per se, but invest time. Mm-hmm. And, and skill, specific I, skill know, sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, if you can do these drawings and let me pay you in six months, like, let's do this. And this will either be like a waste of your time or you'll be our consultant for the rest of time. And so we actually still mm-hmm. have the same architect and the same mechanical engineer, which both of them have come in um, as investors since then, not of just time. <laughs> so it was really an art of doing the deal. It was negotiating with the landowner to buy the land. It was getting the investors. It was negotiating with the municipality to get a development permit, a building permit, figuring out which trades could do the job. Like, I mean, I think I've, I feel like I'm doing a terrible job telling the story just because it was no, no, so it's crazy. Great because any founder that's <laughs> listening is not in their head going big blue on their own journey. It was of, so of crazy because, you know, it was just me in the living room at, at, at our condo with my dog and Tim was running around on the building site. And, um, the, there were two hardest parts. The first one was, um, the very beginning, obviously, when we had no money, and I literally had a car from when I had a job, and I went back to the car dealership and said, hey, can you finance my car? It's brand new with like two kilometers on it. And they're like, we don't finance cars, but you can buy an upgrade. So I had to upgrade my car to get this massive car loan and the original payment from my original car back to put a down payment on the piece of land, which is Oh, you hustled hard. You hustled super hard. (laughs) 
Curious, random random question. Has Kenmore not had a notoriously like anti short term rental policy? Approach? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, is that a thing? Sure. If you're okay, if that, you're yeah, that's a, that's your a residential home, it's like a hard no. Okay. If you have a condo like what I okay. had, which was zoned for Airbnb, which are known as visitor com in Canmore, oh, then yeah. it's free for all. Um, it's it's just when people got it. It's so about it is the about the zoning. You just got to follow the zoning, and life is good, which makes total sense. So 2016, right. So I financed my car, used that um, payment that I got back from the original car, right? Because I financed the second car and had the original payment to use as a deposit, which was $38,000 on the piece of land to tie it up, which is conditional, right? Like same as when you buy a house, you have a conditional period. Exactly the same in commercial real estate. Typically the conditional period is longer. So I had to waive conditions on June 1st of 2016, close on June 30th of 2016. So I had 30 days to find $800,000 for this piece of land, which is so cheap because now the exact same piece of land would be like millions of dollars in Canmore. Like it's just skyrocketed. So anyway, I ran around and and just like talked to one of my friend's brothers through 300 grand his buddy threw in 150 tim's brother threw in 250 at the time it was just like who's got money let's do this here's a prototype like a picture of what i want to build here's the you know the site plan and let's go and and when i look back and i compare that to you know what we're marketing today these like nice beautiful investor decks and all that i'm like oh my god i can't believe people like put money into this but they did because it was a good idea you know it was a good idea and the numbers were there and everybody who was connected to camera could see that economically speaking land values were going up rates so hotel rates were going up uh vacancies were going down etc so the economics were there so off we go we start spending everybody's money um they were in a limited partnership and we get debt from a bank to the tune of five and a half million dollars so it was a seven and a half million dollar budget, which actually turned into exactly seven point eight million dollars for the first building, which is such a good deal. You could never recreate that right now. And um, no kidding, yeah, yeah. we had a broker get us a term sheet and a commitment letter from a lender, who then changed their mind at the eleventh hour because of you know that's a whole long story. We don't need to get into the details, but essentially the broker misrepresented our deal to the lender. So I was like, oh my god, ooh, interesting, very that's juicy. juicy. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't want to like say up. all the names yeah. of things. So. Um, okay, I got so you, I anyway, got um, long story short, I was like, oh my God, we've spent $2 million of other people's money. We don't have a loan to kick in to pay all the trades. We owe a million dollars to other people and we have no money. Like we're effectively bankrupt. So I said to the mortgage broker, like, I'm going to hit the pavement, try to find money and you better do the same because this is a disaster. Anyway. To make up for his unique ideas on the first go around, he did find us an amazing lender out of Edmonton and we were able to build the building and then we were able to refinance it out and off we went. But that that beginning was just like, was so crazy. Like I'm sure everybody could remember moments where it's like, I didn't know anything about, you know, debt financing. I didn't know anything about this, but you had to just get into it. And there are big numbers and it's really hard when it's, you know, other people's money. And I didn't in those moments of of sheer panic at the beginning want to call investors who had just cut checks for hundreds of thousands of dollars and be like, so we're screwed, right? I never wanted to turn to investors for for advice or for for anything, right? So um I didn't and it all worked out. But who 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 did you who did you get advice from at that time? Like who was in your corner? Who was your mentor? Who was the call? Who was that call you make at eleven o'clock? Nobody. Can't sleep? I didn't have like one go to okay. person because yeah. I was very determined to make this work and very determined that 
all of these problems were not going to be like in the public eye. Um, but I did call my professor, Andre Kuzmiki, who's still a mentor and still a call if there's like, like shit hitting the fan, okay. but particularly at the beginning, um, he was key and that was kind of it. Cause there wasn't really anyone I knew who knew the business who could offer any advice because I, like I said, I had like a job. I wasn't super connected in the industry. So yeah. Right. Anyway, it was, a. Uh, Wow, what a roller coaster of an experience. That's that's a nut. Thank you for sharing that. I love it because it's so easy to look now from the outside and go, Wow, oh my god, you're so Oh my god, people say that all the time, and I just want to like, Yeah, I'm not fucking fortunate. Do you think these hotels like fell from the clouds? No, I had to deal with it and build them. And like, people say things like that, like, Oh, you live in such a nice house, and it's like, Yeah, I fucking busted my ass to live in this house, so like, don't judge me. I love it. Yeah. Or don't, yes. Don't demean me by saying like, yeah, somehow implying totally. there was luck or the, the, like the, the angels I dropped know. one in my lap. Did you, so you build the first one. No. Did you take a breather or were you like on the gas? <laughs> no, I'm sensing not. I'm, I, I'm just getting to know you a little no, bit, but no I'm gas. sensing no. I mean, no break. All gas. Yeah. No <laughs> break. Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah. All, yeah, all, all so, gas. Yeah, um, all, all, all fuel. Uh, yeah. All, th- all throttle, no rudder. Exactly. Like, so before we actually, yeah. anybody can go fast. Even and like just before we opened the first one, I had got wind that um, what is now Base Camp Lodge and Lamp House Hotel were for sale. We closed on both of those in November of 2017, but we had started working on the deals before we opened the first hotel. So we actually had already committed to buying two more hotels before we opened the first hotel. So again, raising money in limited partnerships. Each hotel was its own partnership. Um, They've since been rolled up into a fund, but at the time we had different partnerships for each building. And we were just pounding the pavement. Is that also just a smart way to mm-hmm. do it at the onset when you're like kind of totally. dividing your risk and kind of creating mm-hmm. a little bit of some walls in between before you? And really it still makes sense for anybody in real estate doing projects where you like buy something, build it, sell yeah. it, dismantle the partnership because it's it's done right. Um, it's different when you're holding on to real estate for long term. There's better structures than like 18 different LPs, but um, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And do you have your land? Do you have your land tied up in one, and then your buildings tied up in another, yeah. or have you kind of brought that? Is there, uh, yeah, oh, I'll tell you, you anything. I'm an open book. So yeah. yeah so right yeah, now, all okay. of our operating it. hotels are in one limited partnership, which is you know it's operated effectively as like a private REIT kind of thing, and they're all amalgamated, and okay. then. Yep. Everything that has development risk goes into a separate limited partnership, whether it's on its own or whether it's in a fund. It just depends on the size of the project. So we have something called, very creatively, Development LP1. And there's investors in that and there's yeah. five hotels in that. Yeah, it's it's, it's exactly, like fun one exactly. and fun two and, and fun then, three. I whereas get it. Yeah, our yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, big project, the Mountain House Hotel and Spa, where we're building a Nordic spa in Canmore, is very creatively a Canmore Hotel and Spa limited partnership. And so that one's on its own because it's such a big kahuna. It's not part of a fund. But the idea is once all of those hotels are done, completed, development risk is over and they're operating and generating cash flow, they roll up into the investment fund where all the operating hotels are. Now that transaction, if you're interested at all, is a tax deferred basis. So that's a big pitch to investors. Hey, you get to come in at this cost base, roll up to the new value on a tax deferred basis and be part of the long-term cash flow. Does that from a your investor story, and you kind of alluded to it, having kind of those types of value propositions, but where are your investors coming from? Are they you know, started off friends, family, like brothers, cousins, like that story? Has it gone beyond 
Western mm-hmm. Canada, I'm assuming you've got some money coming in from the East. Is it now globally, North America? Where are you seeing oh, your Most of our investors, investors are Canadian, um, accredited investors who, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. come from all walks of life. There's, you know, there's a few people who've put in 50 grand that are, you know, friends of mine all the way to a family office that's invested to, you know, seven to eight million dollars across all our projects. We're starting to talk to more um, investment, you know, equity funds, larger players, larger family offices and going into that world because we are growing so quickly. Exactly. Well, your numbers are getting bigger. So right away the game and, and who wants to, who wants to yes, play with you? A, lo- a lot of 50 bigger, grands, right? you know, we'd need a lot of 50 grands to raise the amount of money we're trying to yeah, raise. Yeah, right yeah, totally. Well, and then managing mm-hmm. that many investors from your perspective is a whole other nightmare. Mm-hmm. Like there's the friends and family and allowing people to participate. And then there's how many phone calls do you need or can you even mm-hmm. have the time to make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about a little bit about that journey, like getting into big private equity. Like how's that journey been from you? Because you understand your background is you took, you did your MBA, mm-hmm. focused on real estate. And every article about you <laughs> mentions so that. So I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. help but stumble there. All day. She did her yeah. MBA and then she moved here and just did the thing. And they make it I imply know. that you did your MBA, which then is why you, it's anyways, really funny every article kind of reads like, that oh, way. Oh, because you got an MBA, you were able to do this. And it's like, I respect the MBA and it was a fantastic experience. It is not <laughs> at all what got me into this. Like I got into this, you know, Thank sheer you for clarifying that. grit. Um, but yeah. Just brute, brute, brute force, and I didn't totally. know what I didn't and know. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with an MBA. It gives you skills, and more importantly, gives you you know contacts and yeah. a networking ability to get into an industry. But it's not what creates an entrepreneur. You can't go take a course in entrepreneurship and think you're an entrepreneur. Like you either are or you're not. Right? Like it's like the sky is blue. You're an entrepreneur or you're not an entrepreneur. The end. Um, it's it's <laughs> you can't learn. You can learn skills to apply <laughs> to it, but it's like you either have the the oomph or you don't. Yeah, I I really appreciate it. So just a little bit about, you know, back in the day, you, you called your prof, I think you said, was the one phone call you mm-hmm. can make and you can still make. Getting into that world now of playing with a lot of bigger, more sophisticated investors dealing with bigger dollars over larger, more sophisticated models. How's that been for you to learn? Do you have mentors that sit tightly in your corner through some of your early stage partners? Is that something you've just taken on? Do you, I don't want to say outsource that because uh, you don't strike me as someone who outsources much in terms of, you know, keeping your hand on it, but just understanding the journey that you've gone on in a relatively mm-hmm. short I, period of time. I would time. call it more of like, like you, a natural you, you, evolution. So um, it's not like you okay. just wake yeah, up one enough. morning and you're like, I'm going to go start calling family offices and larger private equity partners. It, it sort of happens over time. And as as that evolution has happened, you know, our, our company has grown. So now we have people coming in, for example, we have a president of real estate and he's, you know, helped a lot at getting us into these more sophisticated investors. And we have hired a consultant. People that yeah, come from Yeah, So it's not world, to your right? point. We didn't like farm it out to someone and say, okay, bring us $40 million. Cause that doesn't work. Um, I mean, for some people it does <laughs> no. for us, it doesn't. Yeah. We have hired a consultant to help us get our, you know, our, our materials more sophisticated, our performance more sophisticated, get our conversations to that higher level. So it's been a combination speaking, exactly, speaking their it's been a combination language, right? of me yeah. meeting mm-hmm. people, our new president of real estate kind of introducing us to some people, this particular consultant helping us get organized, and having the right members on our team who can, you know, put pull this all together. So it's definitely a team effort, whereas the fundraising at the beginning was mostly me. Um, actually all me and then mostly me. And now there's a team of us, which is, you know, a lot more fun, but to, to further answer your question, 
it's way harder because you'll put in so much time with say like private equity fund person number one or family office number two or whatever. They get so detailed. And at the end of the day, if they take a pass for whatever reason it may be, all that time, probably you could have raised, you know, two to three million on the retail um, investor, like hundred grand here, hundred grand there. But you've put all that time into maybe get, you know, try for a ten million and you get zero. So I'm always questioning: Is this really worth it? Yeah. And so to answer that question that I've now posed to you about me is that we do both. So we kind of gave up on the okay. retail investor thing and went all to these like big private equity companies which ate up like the last six to eight months of my life. And um, we have a couple conversations that are very live and probably going to materialize. So I don't want to say nothing's a waste of time in my opinion. Um, but, but you're learning. Yeah. And I appreciate and, your but at the same time, we need people still like, Hey, 200 grand, 100 grand, 300 grand. Um, so we're doing both. We're doing both. And there's, you know, we still have people coming in for 50 grand and we have people coming in for 5 million. And so, um, for me, it's all about just doing what's best for, for the investor. So I don't really care how much money someone's put in. They just need to make a good return and be part of a, a growing company. Yeah, I appreciate that. Just from a, just for the simple sake of the question from a timeline or, you know, uh, someone's going to write a $250,000 check versus someone's going to write a $5 million check. Have you like, does one take a handful of conversations where one takes months and months and months? Like what have you identified oh, in terms yeah. of just anything, like time? anything above? Yeah. Anything in the multi-million dollars is months and months and they have their own underwriting team and they have their own investment committee and they have their own parameters that have to be met. So it's, it's, it's so much longer. Whereas I can go for coffee with like a buddy of a buddy and he'll cut a check like the next week for 200 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and you have to call them every once in a while and keep them in the loop. But like you said, if you're making that same promise that we're going to, you know, a rate of return and a trusted mm -hmm. investment and you're not going to lose your money and you're going to get that. What mm -hmm. kind of, what kind of, what's the timeline on kind of returns for someone who puts in a $250,000 check? Cause there's people listening to this that are those people for sure. No question. <laughs> right. Well, I'll, I'll give you one specific example okay. um, and, and be super candid about it because to be honest, it's always, it depends, right? Are you coming into the master fund? Are you coming into a development fund? Are you coming into Canmore hotel and spa uh, right now? Canmore hotel and spa, which is mountain house hotel in Canmore is projecting uh 26% IRR. Okay. So uh, really good. And that's over, that's pro format over four years and okay. you make two and a half times your money. So if you put in a hundred grand right now, so anyone can call me anytime, I'll take your hundred grand. Uh, you'll make two and a half times your money in four years. And that's based on us buying the hotel, renovating the hotel, which is already done, opening the restaurant, which is happening this Friday. And it's going to be awesome. It's called Rhythm and Howl in Canmore. Oh, cool. Nice. And right um, that's in Mountain House Hotel. And the spa construction starts in April and it'll open spring of 2025. That's a Nordic spa in Canmore. So it's going to be an amazing property. And in that one, we've raised money from larger partners, as well as, like I said, all the way down to people coming in for our minimum of 50 grand. Providing they're still accredited investors though, correct? Like that is the- Correct. Or the friends and family. It okay. has to be friends yeah, and family it. or accredited investor. Yeah. So there's investor exemptions that apply. Of course. Curious. What's the left hook that blows that whole model up? Is it the economy taking a disastrous look? We're not even going to talk about COVID today, but what if another pandemic <laughs> happened? What if? I don't want to probably a dirty word to someone. I, know. In the I don't want to talk about COVID either, no. but yes, I'll, I would list the items, which would include, we won't use the C word, no, please pandemic. Thank you. I know. I was like, I'm just, let's pivot it, call it something else. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, of course, it's macroeconomic right now. So, um, pandemic, 
big one would be forest fire, which, you know, for example, um, in Revelstoke, where I'm sitting right now, um, everything was great. Summer was great. Then all of a sudden the forest fires hit and when we get, you know, overnight $30,000 worth of cancellations. So it's just, it's, it's very, um, based on what's going on in the outside world. Uh, does there, is there suddenly an issue that happens in, in the airspace and planes stop flying or, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm course. just thinking of all these scenarios. The macro and disaster it, planning that's almost can make you crazy. Literally. Yeah. yeah. So I always say to investors, listen, if something gets in the way of these properties and these locations it's not us shitting the bed we're dialed operationally we're dialed at head office we've got amazing staff we've got the infrastructure now it's not like the beginning where it was a bit of a like touch and go um we've got, got an amazing you, you've team. built a team in the process mm-hmm. yeah and the team is 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 so good so good um and i always say you're only as good as your team so we're we're good it's what what could happen in the outside world does the highway close you know the highway between um you know just outside of golden is closed on and off and on and off right now for construction and then there's all constantly an avalanche in rogers pass so those things are like short so you see the effects of it you know over a weekend or something but if something caused the highway to close for like you know a couple months we'd be a little screwed yeah interesting i was having a conversation good friend of mine works for a mission group in um in Kelowna. And I was chatting with him on the weekend. He's like, wow, so many businesses that he knows, those last couple of weeks of summer, they were really counting on and they kind of got pretty much mm-hmm. wiped off the map because of the forest fires, which we know is becoming yeah. more and more a thing. When you're looking at, and this is, I'm going way off in left field now, when you're looking at kind of long-term planning, do you factor in some of those long-term implications of you know floods, fires, and extreme heat events that are happening because of climate change? Uh, just separating the conversation around climate change to just being, okay, we're on a journey and things are shifting. I've got a podcast coming up with a researcher that's all she focuses on is the is the mm-hmm. financial impact of the fact that 10 years from now, it's going to be, we're going to have X amount of more days over 30 and so on and so forth. Do you bring that into your calculations when you're thinking about like mountain towns and resort style living? I wouldn't say that specific. Okay you know, topic would have a line item in the budget. It's more like we have a reserve for, for anything. It could be flood. It could be fire. It could be, um, the roof wears out, you know? So we did, we do keep a reserve, a financial reserve for sort of like, we just call it anything, yeah, right? Yeah. It's the shit, the like shit, the have, shit happens reserve. <laughs> the shit happens reserve. We don't have a, like, you know, um, forest fire reserve. We don't line itemize the reserve, but but yes, we do always think that. And, you know, when it gets hot out, I'm always like, this is bittersweet because I love hot weather, but I'm like, I don't know, there's going to be a fire. So turn down the heat. So yeah. With your building materials, when you're doing a net new build, are you taking into consideration things like metal roofs and, you know, making some, maybe what could be sometimes more expensive choices in the short term that maybe insulate you from some of those things. I'm sorry, we're going way off in left field now, but it's just, it's on my mind because some of the things I've been reading lately. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah, no, when we're building from scratch, we definitely look at all the different materials from, you know, energy efficiency. We try to meet a higher level of the energy model, um, all of that. And, and of course, non-combustible is super important as well. Yeah, just it just feels smart to do these days. Like it's not mm-hmm. when something's going to happen, it's if. Curious, what's your perspective being in these communities where you can't turn on the news and you don't hear about, oh, there's no accommodations, it's not affordable, people can't live there, we, we, the workers can't, the people that work and support all this tourist infrastructure or this trade can't find a place to stay. How much does that get on your radar or how much does it factor? Because you're certainly living in the towns that get the news headlines around those topics. Oh, 100%. And everywhere that we have a hotel has a housing crisis. It's, it's, they go hand in hand. Because if you think about these um, towns and cities historically, they weren't set up as these massive, you know, 
ski town, all that. Like right now I'm in Rubblestoke, so prime example of, you know, forestry, mill, kind of industrial little railway town that gets a ski hill in 2006 and boom, right? It's not even 20 years later. There's nowhere for anyone to live. Like two doors down from my house over there, there's a house that has 18 people living in, in like series of bunk beds. It's just crazy. There's nowhere for, if you have staff, um, where do you put them? Who's building new subdivisions in Revelstoke? Like barely anybody. There's a few, they're tiny and they're so expensive. It's expensive to build. It's expensive to live. Canmore is a prime example where we are like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of housing units short. And it frustrates like the hell out of me because we're trying to build some and we're being met with resistance. And it's like, how can somebody resist when you're trying to create housing units for people who want to live and work and contribute to the economic growth of a community? So this is a very hot button right now because we are in the midst of, of getting a permit to build some housing in a light industrial area where we have a light industrial building. And then above, we're trying to put some housing units and it's been in yep. the news a lot lately. And I stayed in one of those in Revelstoke because I couldn't find anywhere else and it was going to snow that weekend. So I literally stayed above somebody's woodshed. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Because I, so I needed a bed. Ours, I needed a bed. In the ours kitchen. aren't for short term. Ours are for for long term, like for residents. Yep. But um, yeah, to to kind of circle back to your question is just it's it's a constant issue. Nobody is presenting a long term solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to contribute to the long term solution because in Revelstoke we're in for a development permit right now for a. Um, large complex of townhomes, 70 units of stacked townhomes that are all long-term rental. We have one in the making in Canmore and another in Fernie and another in Golden. So everywhere that we're building a hotel, we're trying to do one of these long-term townhouse uh, rental projects. Not just because we need it for our staff, because we don't need 70 units. We need like three, but I know that the community at large needs it. And, um, and it's a viable project. It's it's kind of a win win win, right? It's viable economically. It's a dire need, and we need it. So it's I feel like everyone wins. And this resistance profile is this the you know is it the community? Is it the the long term residents? Is it you know we're trying to protect nature while also trying to reap the rewards of being a tourist attraction? Like it feels like you've got a lot of a lot of like conflicting uh, motives. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of the, you mean in Canmore with the project like, that we're yeah, trying to just build. the resistance that you hear openly all yeah, the time. The about, no, we, we need lot. it, but we don't want it. We need it, we don't want it. Yeah. We're resisting it, we're fighting it. We're like, we're, totally. we're showing up at I, City I Hall and protesting. It, um, there's a lot of people who feel that industrial areas shouldn't have residential in it, which if we had, you know, endless supply of land and industrial and all that, I would probably agree with. I would say, no, put the houses over there, put the industrial bays over there. Bob's your uncle. But when you have no space and a completely finite land supply and a massive housing crisis, it's important to think differently about it. In a, per- in a perfect world with endless dot dot dot, we would we would all do yeah. it perfectly. But that's not the world we. Well, that's exactly, not the world that's we live not in. the world we live in. We're surrounded by rivers, mountains, parks, highways, trains. Like we're really constrained in so many factors. So mm-hmm. anyway, have you not to talk about the c word again? But have you also <laughs> just seen a crazy boom in like people's attraction to these locations since post COVID? Because I know that happened initially, but has <laughs> that kind of has that normalized or is? people just realized how awesome it was to get outside in nature <laughs> to oversimplify that. Well, thing. to be honest, like before COVID in 2020, we were, you know, set up um, to have the best year ever. So this was already happening before yeah. Yeah. 2018 was really good. 2019 was like so much better. 20, like the growth was so crazy 
before COVID. So this was this discovery or whatever. It's not even a discovery. People have been coming to Canmore Bant for forever, right? It's just this, this travel, you know, appetite or whatever you want to call it, um, was happening. And then it got, you know, cut off at the knees. March of 2020, it's it's coming back. But I don't think like a lot of people are calling called this or still calling it, I don't know, revenge travel, but it's not. It's lifestyle. And it's people that just want to travel. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go do one trip post COVID and my revenge travels over. And now I'm just going to sit in my house and, you know, bake cookies. Like, that's not that's not the way the world is anymore. Like, if you think about you've got baby boomers who are retired who have time, who have money. They're not just, who they are finally things, traveling right? for all that pent up time that they, exactly. they were waiting to travel. You're right. Traveling. And then you've got, you know, families like, like my age group, families, young families, they want to do things with their kids. They don't want to just sit in the house all day. Then you've got young people who don't know how to save a dollar if like their life depended on it, but good for them. They're spending it on travel, right? <laughs> they are. So, they're spending it on experiences, not stuff. And things. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So the perfect storm continues, continues to brew. Yeah. So for you, like, I hear nothing but blue skies ahead. Sorry, that was too too cheesy. I, 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 I said it before I realized I, I was saying it. I told you how hard it was to raise money. That is not a blue sky. Yeah, no, it, it is it's not. Sky. But it sounds like it's moving in a positive direction. And it sounds a lot less uh, maybe tumultuous or maybe at a different level than your first initial kickoff story of your 2016, 2017, when you were like rebuying the car to get the t- like yes that's uh, true and so you know for entrepreneurs cheesy question but for entrepreneurs listening uh, any advice or any things you want to share because my audience ranges from senior executives all the way to startup founders so i've got everybody across the board who kind of listens so thoughts or things you would share that you know i'm sure you've been asked this cheesy question many times when you look back what would you tell you know even <laughs> from a leadership or just getting shit done yes. any takeaways or any any big ones you want to drop hmm? I always say the same one, which is like the cheesiest answer to your cheesy question. It's just do it right. Like you have to have a certain amount of calculated. Um, yeah, yeah. Like if I look back to the beginning, I did have a pro forma. I had some experience in real estate. I had run one Airbnb, but like I wasn't a hotel expert. I had, you know, like I said, two condos on Airbnb, like big shit. That doesn't mean I know anything. <laughs> I did know nothing. And so there's always going to be certain parts of the business plan that the entrepreneur or the founder knows nothing about. And they can either, you know, panic and have what I call analysis paralysis, or they can just fuck it and do it. Right. And, and you just have to, this whole, like these people who try, and this always comes up on this cheesy show, the dragon's den, where they're like trying to have a full-time job and start a business. And I totally agree. That doesn't work. You can't do it. You either just Freaking do it or don't do it, but don't try to do it half-assed would be my uh, long-winded answer to your question. There's back to being thinking you're entrepreneurial or being an entrepreneur. Like my business partner, mm-hmm. if I have one more person tells me they're entrepreneurial while sitting with a full-time job because I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It's either you're an entrepreneur or you're a hired gun. Like you can't be both. So. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll end. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you're a, yeah, I know you're a mountain enthusiast. It's like standing on the top of the ski hill. Sooner or later, you're just going to tip your skis over the cornice and jump in. Like it's, it's not going to yeah. happen any any other way. You can't think your way down the hill. <laughs> exactly. Sky, really cool to have you on, and congratulations on your success. I love your candor. Thanks for just being willing to be like, listen, this is just how it fucking is, guys. Like deal with it. <laughs> and I really appreciate the the, the honesty because it's easy to look in from the outside and do that whole like, oh, look at you, and it's so nice, and it's all these things, and you're like, listen, screw you guys. Here's what really happened. Here's how hard we worked and how hard we're still working to make this thing as awesome as it is. So thanks for being honest about that. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate oh, it. My pleasure. What's the uh, basecapresorts.com? Where, where, where would you send somebody wants to check out one of your properties and stay there? What about investors? Is, is there a specific site they should go to? Cause you know, I always like to open that door very clearly if someone wants to write you a check. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's two. There's um, a web a website we're working on um, that is up soon. It's buybasecamp.com. Okay, nice. Like UI, like very simple, buybasecamp.com. Um, and invest at basecampresorts.com. Amazing. Would be the email to email for more information. And if somebody wants to reach out to you and have a chat or to hear about it, are you LinkedIn, email? Do you, do you have a preferred if, if, you, if somebody wants it? Oh, so yeah. LinkedIn, email. It's all the same. Sky at basecampresorts.com. LinkedIn, I think I'm on there somewhere. You, you, you um, are. I'm looking at your profile right now. So you're definitely definitely on there. I'm a professional creeper. It's part, <laughs> it's part of my, my podcast persona. As part of our, our technological you know, experience today, you can see that I'm not very good at any of this stuff. But. It's, it's all yeah. good. You're, you're, you're good at the things that matter for the, for the business that you build. So, Sky, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the chat. Thanks for the candor. And uh, uh, congrats. I love it. It was, really, it was really fun getting to know you. Yeah. Thank you so much.